Everybody, Conley here with the Science Nights in the Morning. And get this, all the nights are assembled today. Very excited for this episode because it really does, honestly, kind of uh, tickle a fancy in me, if you will, uh, from uh, my youth and my childhood. Back in the day, I had a giant toy chest. And uh, in that toy chest, I had uh, all the dinosaurs. All of them. All the dinosaurs. Let's be, be honest, Conley, you still have that chest don't you i still have the chest okay. yeah and i still have all the dinosaurs you you mean the chickens right no well no 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 no, no <laughs> those no, are dinosaurs <laughs> but but there's something interesting so first off before we get into it dr sean bram on the call dr thomas hey, schiller everybody. here oh yeah and then dr honor von bonacargi what's up crew. everybody now did y'all have uh toys sean did you have uh dinosaur toys growing up Absolutely. Yep. I had the standard kind of plastic bag with the multicolored dinosaurs, which, you know, would always include a Dimetrodon and a woolly mammoth, which didn't belong there. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I loved them. How about you, Tom? Did you have the dinosaur toys? I had part of a slinky. Part of a slinky. But I straightened it. <laughs> and, then the, and then it was a dinosaur. It could be whatever yeah. you want. I'm making a Ghostbusters reference there. Oh, that. <laughs> Okay. My son is obsessed with Ghostbusters right now, and it's pretty awesome. Oh, good for him. We've That's watched the great. movie maybe a hundred times over the past couple of weeks. Oh, my gosh. The original? Yeah. Wow. Both of them, yeah. One wow. Uh, yeah, but I had the bucket o dinosaurs. Yeah. But did you ever get into the specialty stuff? Like, every time I saw a toy, like, at a store or anything of a dinosaur, I would throw a fit until, like, my parents bought it for me. They always bought it for me. I had a bucket of dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. We... Yeah, we didn't do much toy shopping when, when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about you, Honor Bond? Did you have dinosaur toys? No, I didn't have dinosaur toys. Did you just have tigers? Um, no, nothing like that. You didn't have toys? Oh, I had toys, but not dinosaur toys. What kind of toys did you I have? I had robots. In, you had robots, robots in India? Yes. I had Voltron? Ro- I don't know. I had just robots and trains. Did you have the Legos? Did they have Legos in oh, India? Oh, yeah. I had Legos. You had Legos? Okay. Yeah. Right. I wasn't much of a Lego kid or Hot Wheels kid. Oh no no no! These are not Legos robots. These are actual robots. Oh okay. <laughs> he built he built robots, robots. coming. Yeah, I like built real robots, robots with <laughs> AI. Yeah yeah yeah, kind of something like, that. like like Optimus Prime. Okay, right. got yeah, you. Yeah, like yeah. Transformers. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. not one dinosaur. Yeah. Now all I had were dinosaurs, and uh, I even went as far as like getting the updated ones because like in our day there was a time where Jurassic Park came out. And it changed the look of the dinosaur completely. Didn't even it, like outdated yep. all my other dinosaur toys. Now all my new dinosaurs had to look like what was on Jurassic Park yep. because that's how they really looked. Well, we're finding on this episode that actually it keeps changing, and uh, what we thought once were dinosaurs really didn't look anything like they were uh, now. 
But I still think the 90s dinosaurs look the coolest. But uh, fortunately, we have a whole episode to talk about this. I'm geeking out right now just looking through this list. And we're going to go through retro versus modern dinosaurs today. And we're going to be talking about some older dinosaurs that looked in a certain way and then how they kind of evolve now. And now they have feathers. So, Yep. So let's start a little bit, Thomas. Kick it off, man. Well, I have to admit something first. Um, that so this 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 whole idea for an episode um, originated by Conley sending us this link on Facebook Messenger, and I was really excited to click on this link and read the article that Conley sent. But I'm no longer a part of the metaverse, so I tried clicking on the link and I <laughs> couldn't actually see anything. So all I saw was just the very bottom of that picture on the link. Ah, oh, there. You and go. I'm going to assume. What that article was about, okay, you know, so that we can jump off of that for the rest of this episode. Sure. But I saw T-Rex. Oh, yeah. Can I assume that T-Rex was, was a key feature in, in the article about the evolution of how dinosaurs are depicted? Well, the, well, uh, the article really kind of explained a little bit about what we, our own learning as scientists, right? Mm-hmm. And what we kind of speculate for these animals to look like. It, though we've never seen them before, we can speculate through the bones we find and all the little pieces of yeah. evidence mm-hmm. we pick up along the way. So uh, what's cool is that we're kind of indoctrinating people in pop culture, uh, especially like through toys and manufacturing and whatnot, yeah, to believe everything that these scientists are concluding, which is funny because it always changes. And yeah, it, that, that's why I don't think concluding or conclusion is, is a good term because um, science is always changing and uh, the evolution, quote unquote, of dinosaur depictions is a great example of that because yeah. it's something that we've seen happen recently, but it happened really quick. Right. You know, people have been finding dinosaur fossils for a long time, um, probably longer than we have written record of. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the earliest myths, dragons and griffins, are probably generated because people were finding these weird Giant you know, skulls reptilian and things. femurs and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but the, the, the revolutions, as we call them in dinosaur um, discovery and how we, we depict dinosaurs, that's happened over, you know, the past couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happened in phases. The f- one you mentioned is, is not really the most recent. Um, it's kind of the, the second you know, revolution in, in dinosaur understanding. And that's the one that happened in, in the eighties and the nineties mm-hmm. and, uh, movies like Jurassic park, they, they kind of show that evolution in, in science. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way T-Rex, for example, looks in Jurassic park is way different than what it looked like in Valley of Guanji or King Kong right. or lost world. You know, mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. Um, and that all has to do with new discoveries, like you said. You know, the, a lot of the early depictions we had of dinosaurs were based on just a few things. And if you can imagine, you know, look at something like T-Rex. Everyone knows what a T-Rex skeleton looks like. And if you take that and you get rid of 80% of the bones, maybe even you, you don't even have an entire skull of the thing. Right. And try to imagine not having any other data, any other observations. What are you going to, how are you going to fill in the missing pieces, right? Mm. 
the earliest people who were trying to describe dinosaurs, uh, understandably so, saw a lot of characteristics, a lot of traits that were similar to reptiles, things that we can observe, lizards, right? right? Yeah. Um, So if you look at the earliest depictions, they look a lot like lizards, really big lizards, Mm -hmm. you know, giant, giant lizards. Hey, when, so let's, this is the beginning of the evolution. What, when is the beginning of the evolution of depictions of dinosaurs? What, when were the first dinosaurs discovered and, and what, where was the first depiction of a dinosaur? So the, I'd say the earliest sort of dinosaur renaissance is in the mid to late 1800s. Right. Uh, wow, that's not that far. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Preceding what we call the bone wars. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And this is when the scientific community, um, especially in, in, in more you know, advanced nations in, in Europe and in North America, people actually had the means, the, the wealth, um, and the desire to pursue paleontology. So the earliest sort of uh, revolutionary figures in paleontology emerged during that time. Um, and to, coinciding with that, they start trying to figure out what these animals look like. Um, so if we look at the mid-1800s, late-1800s, we have a bunch of really beautiful dinosaur paleo artwork because they didn't even have great cameras to take photos of these things. Yeah. So if you look at papers that were published around the mid-late-1800s, even going into the early-1900s, these, these scientists were also incredible artists. Um, giving, you know, these really technical, precise illustrations of dinosaur bones and ultimately recreations of what the animals may have looked like. Mm-hmm. So some of these, these, um, well, I'll, I'll give a specific example. In the, in the 1800s, I think it was 1853 in London, um, they opened this huge exhibition in what was called the Crystal Palace. Um, just an a enormous universal scientific exhibition. And this was probably the first uh, mainstream um, sort of depiction of what we now call dinosaurs. They mm. basically uh, constructed this dinosaur park at the Crystal Palace with everything they knew of at the time, mm-hmm. including a dinosaur that we know a lot more about today called Iguanodon. That, that's where I was going to lead. Yeah. I remember that picture, too. And that's, that's probably the, the exemplar of what we're talking about here, because um, the earliest depiction of Iguanodon, again, this is mid-1800s, um, was, was put together with really limited material. Yeah. They had some limb bones and some, some other bones. <clears throat> they had some teeth, which were very similar to modern iguana teeth, hence the name Iguanodon, mm-hmm. iguana teeth. Um, but if you look at the earliest depictions of this, including a big statue that they made for the, the Crystal Palace exhibition, it just looks like a big fat iguana and it's yeah. got a, got a big horn on the tip of its snout. Yeah. Right on its nose. It kind of reminds you of like, if it were living today, it'd be like a cross between a reptile, like a lizard, like an iguana, but like the body of a hippo. Yeah. Right, and, yeah. and then uh, at the very tip of its nose, it had this huge long spike, yep. and it had these little frills that are going like vertically down its spine, mm-hmm. and it's uh, well, the top it of looks, its head. It, lo- it looks a little bit like a scaled up rhinoceros iguana. There yeah. is such thing as a rhinoceros iguana yeah. that ah. has a big horn on its snout. It's from the Caribbean. It's big, 
and it has those little leaf-shaped teeth. So this is like, you know, it, when you look at that statue, your your ten- my tendency as a kid was like, oh my god, these guys were morons. That thing looks <laughs> stupid. Yeah, yeah. But given what they knew, it's actually pretty incredible because those teeth, the iguanodon teeth, are almost exactly the same shape as a modern iguana's tooth for for slice and vegetation. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And 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 it they found this big, uh, you know, sharp conical object. They didn't know it was going to be the thumb of the thing. You know, we, what we know now, I assume, we're still uh, pretty sure that the Iguanodon had a big, crazy, horny thumb. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. where that, that structure ended up. But for them, they're like, what do they got to, to go on? They've got, they don't know the entire diversity of, of uh, dinosaurs, and they've never seen Jurassic Park. So what are they what are they going to do well it's it's a giant rhinoceros iguana mm-hmm. it's 100% uh intuitive they did a great job the statue looks like shit <laughs> but it's 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 pretty good <laughs> that uh that story is even more nuanced though and and the the original sort of idea of what iguanodon looked like was an actual like slim very reptilian iguana with a big long whip tail the, yeah. the first guy, the guy who named Iguanodon, I can't remember his name for some reason, um, Mantell. Um, he suggested it was just like a giant iguana. Mm-hmm. And like Sean was describing, if you look at a, a picture of this thing, the Iguanodon statue at the Crystal Palace, it's kind of chunky. It looks like a rhino with an iguana head with all these spikes. Right. The funny story behind that was um, Mantell died before they, they finished that sculpture. And one of his contemporaries, who was a creationist, mm. who who, who oh, thought great. that who thought that iguana iguanodon was basically a a morphed uh, reptile mammal hybrid thing, mm. um, basically instructed the people con- that were that were making that were constructing it to make it like half mammal half reptile to oh, conform wow. with his ideas. So there's yeah. there's there's even more backstory behind that. I don't understand the creationism person thinking how a half mammal, half reptile would, is a, somehow fitting into the idea of creation. It was it was some weird weird no, just, just, idea that they I had. Think the that, idea the, it's the idea that nothing um, back then extinction was not uh, was not accepted. Not, there's basically anything that was around. Uh, had to be had to uh, fall in line with an existing form, yeah. and so extinction was not a thing. They had not proven extinction, so this thing that has no precedent on Earth. Uh, the, I mean, yeah, the way you get there is by uh, having a strange. Uh, yeah, it's it, the history of that stuff is is crazy, and it kind of it is actually consistent with with some of the ideas of early creationism. Mm-hmm. Wow! But shortly thereafter. You know, uh, future scientists kind of put the kibosh on that. Um, yeah. And just a few few years after after um, they constructed that for the, the Crystal Palace, they found better preserved iguanodon fossils. Right. You know, nearly complete skeletons. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Sean mentioned is they ultimately discovered that the what they thought was a, a spike, a horn at the tip of the nose of the animal was actually these weird thumb spikes that the animal had. Yeah, which even in modern paleontology is still freaking weird. We don't really see anything else like it's that. To, it's to get at well, with me playing with the dinosaur toys, that was my favorite toy was the iguanodon mm-hmm. because it had a way to poke the other dinosaurs in the eyeball. Yeah, that's when, it was when probably defensive. Yeah, at least in part 
defensive. Yeah, so um, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. So, That's always been like one of the top dinosaurs for wouldn't me. Wouldn't you also not be for like burrowing purposes? To if it, is it a vegetarian or a non-vegetarian? Yeah, it's herbivorous. So so couldn't like diet be like roots and stuff like that? I mean, it it wouldn't could, be that practical for for that sort of thing. It's it's people are pretty certain that it was some defensive, defensive maybe mm-hmm. maybe mating. Um, not all that pleasant yeah. though for the female iguanodon. Yeah, um, some sort of clasper, a clasper for yeah. the males to to gain purchase. Yeah, but then the, the females have have like the that. spikes too. So um, okay, it's, yeah, it's, there's it's, no sexual dimorphism. That's no, huh. um, it's a mystery. They, they have they have uh, very clean spikes, by the way, though. <laughs> very clean. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I, a, yeah. Let's not get. <laughs> all right. Uh, so okay. But, okay, explain something to me. Because back then, too, the tail dragged on the ground for all of these. Now, what Mm -hmm. led to the conclusion? We have about five minutes left uh, until the next, you know, segment. Uh, What is the deal with the tails? So, if you, if again, if you try to put yourself in the shoes of these early scientists, these early paleontologists, to justify or or to, to try and figure out what these big bipedal these are animals that are walking on two legs um how they would have stood upright you're only left with any sort of uh, you know with modern analogs um and we don't really have a lot of modern reptiles that at least 100 percent of the time stand on two hind legs Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of animals in general that do that um kangaroos stand on two legs and they kind of sit on their tail. So they're working with, with, you know, the, the best data they had. Um, but what we can talk about after, after the break is, um, modern techniques in, in biomechanics, understanding how and why things can move, how they support their weight really kind of, uh, dispelled this idea that these two legged, these bipedal dinosaurs, were sitting upright on their on their tails. Um, it all has to do with with engine, you know, with with weight distribution and balance. Yeah. So some kind of. Uh, well, I mean I, that's part of the evolution, right? But we have. Uh, what's the record that we have from these uh, dinosaurs, and how can how do we really keep track as to their own evolution? Have we seen a dinosaur evolve from? Uh, you know, quadrupod to or tetrapod, whatever to uh, to just being bipedal, but with still staying within that's, the same type. Of species? That's a good. That's a good question. If we look at the earliest stages of not only dinosaur evolution, but the bigger group that they belong to, the archosaurs, mm-hmm. and even an even bigger group, the archosaur morphs. This isn't the the first time we've seen bipedalism, bipedalism amongst reptiles. Mm, okay. It emerged pretty early on. Cool. So it's not unique to the dinosaurs. The way they achieved it is unique, and it's probably one of the reasons they were such dominant land animals. Yeah. Um, but we do see earlier bipedal reptiles. Cool. Um, and the earliest dinosaurs we have um, um, are, are bipedal, or at least most of the time were bipedal. Yeah. So there's really not a transition there. Um, but when you understand how the evolution works, it's not necessary, right? All right. Well, and we're gonna. So st- what I'm what I'm getting from all these bipedal dinosaurs and everything. So David Ike was David Ike was right, right? Like, so reptilian humanoids. 
So they are controlling us. That's right. Reptilian it, humanoids. humanoids. That's what is happening It's been here. a great show, guys. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Reptilian <laughs> humanoids. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we're going to expand a little bit more on the evolution of uh, dinos and how we depict them. And reptilian humanoids. All right. We're back. You're listening to the Science Nights in the Morning, and we're talking dinos. Specifically, we're talking about the evolution of depictions of dinosaurs. Um, now, we've been kind of talking about the history of um, dinosaur discoveries and how that's led to ultimately a better understanding of, of how dinosaurs looked and moved. Um, and we kind of ended up by discussing um, a little bit of biomechanics, how we know dinosaurs didn't sit on their tails and, and all that. There are probably still buckets of plastic dinosaurs out there that have T-Rex sitting on its tail. And this is something we've known about for 100 years now. Um, so I'd like to kind of jump back a little bit, um, and continue on with the history behind all this. We talked about kind of the, the mid 19th century discoveries, but let's move into the later part of the, the 1800s and talk about a really important, uh, renaissance in paleontology, um, at least in North America, we call the bone wars. Um, the bone wars basically started as um, a rivalry between two uh, wealthy scientists at the time, one working in Philadelphia and one at Yale, um, uh, Edward Drinker Cope and Othnelio Marsh. Hmm. Um, now, these two guys, like I said, were incredibly wealthy North American scientists, and they started out as, as colleagues. They spent basically a summer together um, studying dinosaurs in Europe. Now, one event took place that uh, many people think kind of set off the Bone Wars. And it's really a funny story, and I may have told this story before on the show. Um, but Cope and Marsh were, um, or, or this was, uh, Cope was working on not a dinosaur, but a marine reptile, an Elasmosaurus, one of these plesiosaurs with a big long neck, right. you know, Loch Ness monster type thing. And he had been working diligently uh, reconstructing the skeleton of one of these things. And this is the first one that anyone had ever reconstructed. And uh, he invited Marsh to come take a look at it, look at his impressive creation. <laughs> and uh, Marsh takes a few minutes and, and steps back and he says, you have the skull on the wrong end. Oh, no. And there, there are pictures of this. Marsh... Marsh illustrated this in great detail, which is kind of funny. Um, but Cope put the skull of this Elasmosaurus on the tail, and the, it had this big, long tail extending out of the back of the body. <laughs> and so Cope, uh, Marsh just basically said, that should go there. Because mm -hmm. he looked at the, the, the last vertebra in what Marsh thought was the, or Cope, what Cope thought was the tail, yeah. and it was a, the last the neck vertebra. Interesting. Um, so Now, this dinosaur... What what is the size? Because I've seen different sizes of heads. Yeah, some of them have heads that are like obviously disproportionate to the like. Yeah, back this, of the this neck. had a tiny tiny head, a smaller head. Yeah, this right? is okay. Lo Loch Ness monster basically. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and it's it's a marine reptile, not a dinosaur. But oh, okay. Um, what this what this basically uh, started was a competition between the two, hmm. and not a not a not a collegial competition either. Um, for I think it. it maybe seven or eight years, maybe longer. Um, these two guys 
sought to collect more fossils than the other. Okay. So they went to the most fossil rich regions of, of, of the U.S., spent summer after summer searching for and collecting fossils and publishing them. Yeah. And the result of this, of this seven year bone wars um, was the discovery of, I think, 136 new species of dinosaurs. Jeez. Um, Which is an incredible number. If you think about the work that goes into collecting them or discovering them, collecting them, preparing them, and then writing them up. So these guys were probably two of the most prolific paleontologists in history. They're both total assholes, by the way. Yeah. Cope yeah. was Cope was we're, a major hothead. Marsh was yeah. this vindictive kind of weirdo. Um, yeah, they both sent each other nasty, like published nasty letters about each other uh, in in public journals. And it should be said that they never went to Montana or Wyoming, right? They might have gone out there, but they they paid people to go dig yeah. up dinosaurs, especially for them. Oh, so especially Marsh. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and, of, and they had got they had guys out there sabotaging the, each other's camps and shooting at each other, like literally. Oh. It was it was full on one of the greatest and most heinous scientific rivalries ever. Incredible. Yeah. That seems also, awesome. Also, mentioned that the stuff that they collected is still being sorted out now. One one of the uh, one of the greatest snake fossils wasn't even recognized as a snake fossil until like five years ago. It was collected by them from the Morrison Formation way back in the 1880s or 90s, whatever. And it, somebody just recently got around to dusting off the the specimens and describing it as one of the best early snake fossils in the world. And they collected it and just ignored it because they were after the big dinosaurs. Yeah. So wow. the, the stuff that they collected is still being sorted to this day. Yeah, I find it funny that they were, like, sabotaging each other and shooting at each other. It reminds me of the Hatfields and the McCoys, but instead, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. it's like yeah. for paleontologists. And it was the Old West, too. It's just perfect because yeah. it was like, you know, there was, it was the Old West. Yeah, Colorado, well, Wyoming. There, there really needs Dakota. to be a movie about these guys. It would be incredible. Wow. Yeah, but – Ultimately, even though it was it was this terrible, violent rivalry, it yielded some of the most important dinosaur fossils that the people know of, right? Wow. And if we jump forward just a few years after that, the early 20th century, early 1900s, this is when we start to see the really popular depictions of dinosaurs. The, this is probably the earliest bucket of plastic dinosaurs probably originated in the early 1900s. It's probably we full of asbestos. That's yeah. true. We got to find out. That's probably true. And I'll bet, yeah, around around that time, rubber would have been big. The first bucket of rubber dinosaurs. It's got to be true. I'm just thinking in my like you, this one guy's team collects like this huge amount of dinosaur kind of thing, right? Like in there like transporting it back in like a train or something mm-hmm. and another guy's team like planning a heist to rob rob it off it, from was, them. it was almost <laughs> just, just like, like that and just like yeah i don't i don't know that they stole each other's <laughs> but, uh but if you were making a movie right why not like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like you you wouldn't even need to sensationalize it because like sean was saying they they sabotaged each other's camps they would blow things up and and they they'd hire all these teamsters and 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 arm them with rifles and it was and uh, Marsh tried to tried to uh, persuade the the natives to it was full on old west yeah nice uh, 
it, it would be so a great... check check this out there there's the the modern thing so there, there's a scientific journal called copia that's named after uh, edward cope because he was also he was kind of a herpetologist he published a lot of descriptions of modern amphibians and reptiles and so uh for you know over a hundred years cope had this journal named after him he was recently canceled and so the journal <laughs> the journal is no longer called copia I, i'm surprised of some he, of the stuff he used to write I, i'm just surprised he wasn't even canceled like 50 60 years ago because these two guys doesn't seem like very ethical and I, on a more serious well, yeah no- they both had they both had their students in their camps so they they that this this kind of rivalry continued on that would have been one of the reasons why the journal was named copia right because yeah you know his supporters revered him and marsh's supporters revered him so that uh, this has continued on but cope is now completely canceled uh, you can look into why that is, but uh, I was there's no gonna, longer a journal named after him. No, I, I'm bringing it back, uh, and I assume they didn't really dig in a very nice manner, right? It was, was it very like a very like if you were no, digging? It wasn't nice. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. If, it, it was it was public, and it was like yeah, people t- talked about it at the time. It was, and so this is this. I always love this story because this kind of shows that. You know, in on nature shows, Nova and Discovery and all these shows, they always show scientists as like great people who get along, who are collaborative and are super nice and almost like, you know, monks in, in lab coats. Uh, but the truth is more, I think the truth is more like the bone wars. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of where people, there's rivalries. Uh, a lot of people hate each other in science. They, they have enemies um, and it's like that, and so this is a good, good, you know, thing for the public to know about that it's not, uh, you know, n- the Nova documentary series depiction of scientists. I think is is f- more fake than um, um, people probably ever give it credit. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Nova wasn't covering Cope and Marsh. It very wouldn't cover them. They would co- try to they cover. Wouldn't touch it. Yeah. 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 They, yeah, they would cover some like. Yeah. 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 They well, would, if, if Cope's been canceled, then that's probably totally out of the question now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't well, talk about be, Cope. Yeah. No. yeah. We just cope. <laughs> we just cope. We I knew that cope. joke was coming. Uh, yeah, but but anyway, 136 new species of dinosaurs, major renaissance in our understanding of, of what they look like. Because when you have the skeletons, then you can extrapolate that, you can flesh them out, and you have a better idea of what these things uh, look like when they were mm-hmm. alive. Um, yeah. Now, leading into the early part of the 20th century, we're still kind of running on the idea that these are, these are cold-blooded reptiles. To our best, the best of our understanding, that's what they are. Yeah. So as such... The depictions of these dinosaurs have the the bones, they have the framework, but the the flesh is very much lizard-like. So you look at the earliest movies depicting dinosaurs or the artwork depicting dinosaurs in in the 1900s, they're big, lumbering, cold-blooded lizards. Um, They just have a different shape than the first depiction of Iguanodon. And they move like almost in a stop-motion way. 
because yeah. they made a stop motion animation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought that was actual footage. They're okay. all, yeah, they're all a- animated by Harry Harryhausen or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all going to move that way. So oh, they're all. Hey, but what? And and all of them have the leathery skin. Yep. Right. Yeah, real leathery scales. Like like so they, they, they the, came from Terlingua or something. Right. Yeah, that's good. Where, so where did they uh, where did they get the leathery skin instead of why aren't the cover with scales? Because uh, that would have been the immediate. You know, mm-hmm. conclusion you'd jump to yeah i'm 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 not sure i know that that uh i mean we have it's, we have a good record of of scale impressions now um but yeah i don't i don't know did you read anything about that sean i thought well i would have thought it was isn't there a um there's a kind of a famous fossil impression of the skin of like a, ha- a hadrosaur and that's pretty much like they had that one uh skin impression mm. to go on and they're like, well, I guess they were all colored, covered with leathery stuff like this one fossil we have. Huh. That's uh, that's what I assume it was. Yeah, 70s, right? Oh, I was more curious about the reptile thing. And it was very interesting when you were talking about it. It seems like it also like the popular fiction because you had Godzilla coming out mm-hmm. and you had mm-hmm. was uh, Godzilla's uh, fa- the monster he fights against. Uh, Mothra. 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 And uh, they also had like leathery skins, if you remember. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. it's uh, weird, like uh, uh, like how the popular fiction got so much influence yeah. from them. Yeah, that's something I've never even thought about. The yeah. leathery skin thing. Yeah. If you watch like The Lost World and mm-hmm. Valley of Guanji and, and King, King Kong. Kong. King yeah. Kong. Er, er, first King Kong, a ty- Tyrannosaur has leathery skin. It's yeah. got to mm-hmm. be. I think that's it. It's like, was it Trachodon? Is that the skin impression that they've got? I, th- I think, so. yeah. Yeah. It's a d- but anyway, yeah. So that's, I'm pretty sure that's it. So like, you know, the movie guys go to a museum and they've got the, you know, leathery tyrannosaur on display mm-hmm. in like 1920 mm-hmm. or something. They're like, oh, that's what they look like. And then they go get Harry Harryhausen to <laughs> yeah. do stop motion <laughs> yeah. animation on it. Yeah. And, and yeah. some of the most iconic dinosaur movies out there. Yeah, like the yeah. fight scene yeah. between King Kong and T Rex from the yeah. very first King right. Kong is yeah. freaking awesome. Valley yeah. of Guanji yeah. that was like in the '60s, but even in the '60s they were still depicted like that. And yeah. as Sean mentioned, going into the '70s and '80s, when scientists really, you know, when whenever it comes to scientific discoveries, a pattern that you find is is as the the sort of fundamentals are hashed out. Like we talked about the earliest discoveries and just trying to determine whether or not these things were were reptilian or or, or a different group of animals or whatever, um, leading up to modern paleontology where we know quite a bit about the 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 anatomy of the animals. Now we we delve into like paleobiology and and physiology and biomechanics. So leading into the 70s and especially the 80s we had a much better understanding um, of the, the actual anatomy and physiology of these animals. Mm. And when we get into the 80s, um, and by this time we'd already settled that, that like, T-Rex didn't drag its, its tail. Yeah. Um, that was all dispelled by biomechanical analyses. Mm. And we don't have any tail drag marks in, in uh, the fossil record. So. Yeah. Um, so we get into the 80s. And um, we've got uh, a few really, really famous, well-known paleontologists that emerge. Um, Jack Rick, Horner? Uh, well, Jack, Jack Horner, um, he, he studied other stuff. But Bob Bakker, probably oh, yeah. just as famous, if not more yeah. iconic. Um, 
he published what's called the Dinosaur Heresies, um, yeah. which is, you know, one of the top five paleo dinosaur paleo. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah. A really great book um, and way yeah. ahead of its time. Um, and he um, discussed what was really kind of a novel and controversial idea at the time. Dinosaurs were not cold blooded, but they were warm blooded. Um, and Boom. yeah, and what's, what's incredible about this is we didn't have all of the, the well-preserved, nice feather dinosaurs like we're finding in China. Um, so yeah. this, but, was, our, but our technology is advancing too. It, it is, but, but the, you know, paleontology still is based a lot on just our discoveries. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in Horner, the 1970s, the technology wasn't, I mean, what are you going to do with a bone, a fossil bone that you can't that you couldn't do 50 years ago. I mean, it wasn't that great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, it's still mm. kind of a comparative anatomy thing that they're doing, um, real, like, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. They can thin slice bone a little bit better, but it, they're not going to make, you know, dinosaur robots and see how they how they run, yeah. uh, which I suppose you could do now. Yeah, they uh, do so computer yeah, it's still, models. It's still kind of primitive, and it's still kind of, you know, boots on the ground paleontology, really what they're doing. Um uh, but doing it with a little bit more, you know, Bakker is like famously very brash and, and, and confident and he's drawn pictures of dinosaurs running all over each other. And this great, really well written book that uh, that anybody can read. And mm-hmm. it's just awesome. Yeah, he does. He cracks it wide open with that book. Well, one of the one of the cool things about it is um, he brings in biology. Yeah, you know, like like I said, we didn't have a record of of feathered dinosaurs. You know, when something has plumage, like insulatory plumage, that tells us right away that it, it's it's endothermic. There's no reason for an ectotherm to have insulation like that. But we didn't have that knowledge, so he did a lot of comparison with modern animals, and he looked at kind of the the thresholds when it comes to like an animal size. And whether or not an endotherm or an ectotherm could support the just the size of an animal like a titanosaur, like a big long neck dinosaur, um, and he came to the conclusion that they were more likely warm blooded than than cold blooded. And we know now they they most likely were because we we know that birds are dinosaurs, right? And they're they're warm blooded, so a huge jump. Yeah. And that that second renaissance coincided with um some really great um what we call paleo artists um greg paul is probably the most famous and bacher himself both really great artists and what they did is um rather than than uh coming up with depictions of dinosaurs for entertainment value like most people were doing back in the early 1900s for movies and cartoons and things um they were looking at it from a biological perspective, trying to flesh out the, the dinosaurs based on their skeletal anatomy. Hmm. So looking at bone or at muscle attachment surfaces and the size of bones and comparing that to modern animals and how, it, how everything would have been configured. Wow. And so the, like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, really all the dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park movie are based on these paleo artist depictions wow. who are actually who are also scientists who look awesome and yeah and they and they make them look cool yeah really they're, cool. they're 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 they've got tight scale scaly skin 
You can see all the 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 openings in the bones. They're muscular, mm-hmm. and they look like terrible lizards. All right. Um, so that's Jurassic Park. What what we grew up with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, well, we're about to hit our last uh, segment here, but when we come back, we're going to take a little trip. Oh jeez. Yeah, we're taking a trip here. <laughs> and if you don't know this one. We'll see you after the break. getting into one of my favorite parts of this whole conversation when we discover dinosaurs with neon uh you know neon shirts and skateboards and then they have the sunglasses and we fall you know the sunglasses are all fossilized and yeah we we you know push the dust away yeah. tell these people fully, ex- explain what this a full this electric guitar is. yeah so this is from this is from uh, if y'all remember Fred Savage from The Wonder Years, who I think just got canceled, yeah, um, this was a we- one of these weird shows that or movies that Fred Savage did about dinosaurs. Just look it up on YouTube. It's, oh yeah, it's terrible. Look it up. It's called Dinosaurs. Yeah. Mesozoic mind, baby. Yeah. Okay. Cut. And that was it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but <laughs> anyway, look it up. It is uh, nostalgic. Just for play sure. it after the show in full. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, then we'll get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so moving on into really kind of uh, right before we know what we know about the feathers, because the last time I heard, you know, dinosaurs with feathers was like, what? Yep. Completely changing the game on us. So go ahead and continue oh, on here. Like, uh, didn't people used to think Archaeopatrix was also a dinosaur? Like, well, Archaeopteryx is a, dinos- is a dinosaur. Yeah. So why were people's mind blown off with the feathers thing so archaeopteryx is a good place to start um speaking of of incredible discoveries in the 1800s um archaeopteryx we've known about for a long time Mm -hmm. it's a a jurassic aged dinosaur but it's one of these weird transitional fossils uh, meaning it's kind of halfway between a dinosaur and halfway between an avian dinosaur a bird um so it possesses characteristics of both um and the key one being the feathers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Archaeopteryx was a big enigma for a long time um, because really it's the earliest feathered dinosaur that we, we have, preceding our understanding of, of, you know, avian and non-avian dinosaur lineage. Um, so we had this, this incredible fossil. We didn't know where it fit in, really, um, until... Later in the in the 1900s, when originally not the most popular idea that birds are actually dinosaurs, yeah. Um, and even I, I've, I've been around long enough that I remember going to a, a conference in Denver where it was still being argued between some of the the younger paleontologists of the time and the old school guys as to whether or not 
birds were dinosaurs mm. and and the the prevalence of feathers amongst dinosaurs so was there like it with humans like lucy is supposed to be this missing link right and, it's yeah similar and, to that and, and so what was the missing link for birds and dinosaurs well archaeopteryx yeah. oh, so yeah, okay. it is but we find birds that are older than that which is weird but okay that that, that lineage isn't as as straightforward as as hominin lineage okay um but anyway um after jurassic park um not that long after jurassic park um and the dinosaur heresies and all that um in 19 1996 uh we find our first true feathered theropod dinosaur sinusoropteryx one of many that 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 are discovered following that in china um and the the specimen of Sinosauropteryx. It's this little three-toed carnivorous dinosaur, um, and it's got a mohawk of feather-like structures, uh, almost like fur, along its back. Yeah. Um, and it's the whole body is preserved. So when that was discovered, that kind of initiated the, the third renaissance in, in dinosaur depiction. Um, after that, people started finding all sorts of feathered dinosaurs over in China. Um, and we've, we've found a couple here in North America. But uh, the funny thing about that, and I'm still skeptical about all this, not necessarily feathered dinosaur bird lineage stuff, mm-hmm. but now 100% of the time when you see a T-Rex, which is my favorite dinosaur, I know that's cliche, it's got a damn mohawk or it's got a mane <laughs> or it's got fuzz all over its body. Yeah. Um, just like with each one of these these renaissances in the past the the popular media and, and the public grasp on to this this new idea that dinosaurs are feathered mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of science behind t-rex being feathered um its ancestors that presumably came from from asia are feathered but we don't have any actual physical fossils of t-rex feathers so that's where my skepticism comes into play. Um, it's possible, but do you think it's safe to assume that uh, we're wrong again? It's always possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, does it have to have feathers? I mean, what's the problem no. if it doesn't have feathers? I mean, there's no there's no it, problem. I think I think the the really objective scientist would would say it's either way is possible. How did they? How did what? Like what evidence did they have to think that? Okay, they are feathered. So Sean will understand my my frustration here because he's a biologist and understands phylogenetics and, mm. and that sort of thing. But um, it all has to do with with the 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 sort of evolutionary path of of let's say Tyrannosaurus rex. Mm-hmm. They do it with other with other lineages of dinosaurs too. But um, it, basically, in 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 the the early late part of of the cretaceous in china we had um this dinosaur called eutyrannus which um is a pretty good sized tyrannosauroid so it belongs to the same uh subfamily as as t-rex yeah um it's got a phylogenetic connection with t-rex um and it had feathers all over its body um so the assumption there is that because that lineage originated with that that group moved to north america and ultimately led to t-rex that it is possible that t-rex was feathered 
Now, there's a big jump in logic, at least in my opinion, between it's possible because of the, the, the phylogenetic path for T-Rex to have feathers um, to T-Rex had a mohawk. Yeah, right. to, to T-Rex having has to have feathers. Yeah, yeah. like this, that seems like a pretty obvious kind of even to me, like uh, the scientist yeah. would say, yeah, it could have feathers or it could not have feathers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm. but despite that, you know, we're talking about T-Rex, um, and you know, we've got many many other dinosaurs and a lot of other really interesting feathered dinosaurs out there. To me, uh, the group that's really interesting are the, the raptors, the group that ultimately evolves into, into birds. Mm. Um, because birds, by this point in the Cretaceous, when we had all these feathered dinosaurs in, in Asia, um, have already been around for, for millions and millions of years and evolved into really diverse groups, many groups that are, that are very similar to what's around today. But we still have these, these non-bird dinosaurs that are feathered. In some cases, they have just this 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 kind of downy uh, coating, and other cases they have uh, 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 pinaceous feathers, you know, feathers with a with a, a rachis with a stiff kind of uh, uh, central shaft, right, like a bird, um, not capable of flight, but but there are these cool little raptors, you know, with a big Jurassic Park raptor claw, yeah, that have these these long feathers on their arms and have fuzz all over their bodies um so probably very bird-like in how they moved and how they they looked um and like i said we find good fossils not just impressions of feathers in rock but we have like amber mm-hmm. speaking of jurassic park we have amber that preserves the full structure of these these right. fossils yeah so we know that there were a lot of feathered dinosaurs um just most of the ones we find are in asia mm. now because I'm, I'm trained as a geologist, I'm kind of unique in the field of paleontology in that I don't take a biological standpoint or perspective on everything. Um, I have to look at the environment, too. So if you look at the paleo environment in Asia during the time, it was much cooler um, than, than what was going on in North America, especially in the later part of the Cretaceous. You jump over here when T-Rex was around, Along the Western Interior Seaway, mm-hmm. it was like tropical, subtropical, even semi-arid when you get down here to, to West Texas. So why does a T-Rex need to have insulatory feathers if it's nice and warm? Right. You know, that's another big question. It's possible. We also have a lot of skin impressions from Tyrannosaurs in North mm. America. Proving and, that. Well, not you know. necessarily. The, we see they had scales. That's obvious. But in all of these skin impressions, we're lacking any sort of indication of even even downy type feathers, little right. fur-like structures. Okay. But those wouldn't necessarily preserve really well in the rocks that are preserving the the impressions. So you're talking a, a we're kind of in the middle of this this renaissance where people are debating. Yeah. And if you're objective, as you should be as a scientist, it's like it could be either way, you know. Um, so we'll see. Maybe someone will find a, a T-Rex that, that has feather impressions. Who knows? Well, we already have uh, terror birds out there. So how many from the last uh, raptor or whatever, like oh, yeah. how many years span between that and when we find these terror bo- birds? So they, almost immediately after the dinosaurs went extinct, yeah. the, the, the terror birds emerged. 
Wow. Yeah. And we could do a whole episode on terror Yeah, birds. they were around for a long time, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- that's another uh, really good one to put in the docket. Well, uh, anything else uh, you want to wrap up with, Sean? So I was going to ask, and I'm thinking my mind is going like, so what about like like the cooler, the more well-known, like in the sense like, yeah, sure. I mean, T-Rex is also very well-known. But Stegosaurus, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the one that is like as well known, if not more well mm-hmm. known, right? Yeah, one yeah. of the earliest dinosaurs described yeah. in detail. Yeah, and that and the Brontosaurus, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, that's another one. Um, but they're not bipedal; they are quad. Like they walk on yeah. four legs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think uh, has their depiction changed? Uh, over the years? No, not really. Okay. No. Um, so that's a pretty good job like they have done they did on that one, well, right? They, they found full skeletons oh, of those okay. pretty early on. The the only thing that's changed in terms of the long neck dinosaurs is is kind of their ecology. Um, mm. when they were first discovered it was thought that they lived in like in like swamps mm. and basically yeah. waded in the water and their neck was used to you know, to stick out of the water like a snorkel, I guess. Yeah. Um and that's changed because we find them in, in many different types of paleo environments. Okay. But Stegosaurus, we've had a pretty good idea about about how it looked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but do the, the does the plates move or not? They probably could. Yeah, they weren't they weren't attached to the vertebrae, so right. they could move a little bit. I don't know if they had any musculature that would let them move, but they were vascular. They had because you do see those fights, you know, those uh, CGI fights mm-hmm. where the Stegosaurus is, has its tail prompt and ready, and then like it's like moving. It's like you know. It's it's plates on its back to kind of shine the light in the you yeah. know T Rex's eyes and blind yeah, that, that's, it and that's then probably swipe a little, it with the tail. Yeah, that's probably a little a little uh, dramatic, but I well, mean, that's what that's when I played with toys. That's what I would do. Yeah, I mean that's how I. Did I was going to say like, the, aren't those two pretty equal in size? If not Stegosaurus being a little bit bigger than T Rex. No, a T Rex was bigger no. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Stegosaurus was big, but T Rex was 30, yeah. 30 feet long. I think, yeah, but Bront- the Brontosaurus would have more skelly, right? Like, it has more scales and well, stuff, that's, right? Well, that's something we're we're learning more about, you know. Um, not necessarily the group that Brontosaurus belongs to, but the uh, more recent group, the Titanosaurus, like mm. Alamosaurus, like we have here in, in the Big Bend, mm. um, probably had, like, scutes, like armor plates. Um, like not an, not like, an, like, like an armored dinosaur, but, but just kind of big sort of separated armor uh, plates. Oh, I was going to say like nothing not like armadillo. No. Okay. no, not not to that extreme. Okay. Well, there you have it. Now we have so many questions that need to be answered uh by our scientific community. Yeah. So start arguing and continue to argue, my friends. But don't not like bone wars. Yeah, no bone wars. Hey, this is the wild west out here, baby. All right, we'll see you next week everybody. Science nights in the morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.